Amen. Well, we continue our series this morning on the heart of the gospel from Romans 3, 4, and 5. We're going to be in chapter 3, verse 27. So if you're using our Pew Bibles, it's page 884. We're going to look at Romans 3, 27 to chapter 4, verse 8. Hear the word of the Lord, Romans 3, 27. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our father, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works... His wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So as we think about another wonderfully rich passage, I want us to consider three realities that the gospel does. One, the gospel removes boasting. Two, the gospel creates a family of faith. And three, we see that this gospel is rooted in the Old Testament. It's rooted in God's ancient plan and promises. So first notice that the gospel of justification by faith removes boasting. That's in verses 27 and 28. Let's read those again. He says, then what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And you notice he starts there in verse 27 with then. Then, it's this little connecting word. Connecting words are really important in the book of Romans. And it connects us to what we just looked at in Romans 3, 21 to 26, where we learn much of the same. We're justified by faith. We're redeemed by the cross. He mentions faith four times in those six verses. We're saved by faith, not by works. Then, after all those gospel glories, what's the conclusion here? Then... We have the exclusion of boasting. There's no reason to boast. There's no room for boast. We have nothing to boast of because we do not earn our salvation. We receive it through faith. If salvation were by works, if we earned it, then of course there would be reason for boast. But it's received through faith. And so there's nothing to boast about. But doesn't boasting happen all the time? The native tongue of fallen humanity is boasting in self. It's just the natural inclination of fallen mankind to boast. I mean, just look at social media. I'm not anti-social media. I'm on social media. But just take a critical eye to social media and you'll notice that 90% of the posts on social media are boasting, aren't they? It's our own little personal scoreboard. It's our own personal highlight reel. Look at me. 
look at my marriage. Look at my stuff. Check out my truck. Isn't my boyfriend awesome? Isn't my girlfriend awesome? Don't I look so cute in this selfie in my car on my way to work with my seatbelt on? <laughs> look how obedient my kids are, my perfect family. Even my dog's obedient. Look, look, like, like, send me notifications, give me glory. Everyone boasts, all of us, including you. And if you say, no, 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 no I don't boast, well, you just did. We all boast. One of the things I like to do is look at bumper stickers. Again, I'm not anti-bumper stickers. I've got bumper stickers. But I like to see what people identify with because bumper stickers are a form of boasting. And it's just interesting to look around and see what people want to be known for. And so you got the apple. I want you to know I don't use those PCs like those other slugs of the earth. I'm an apple person. Or the little stick figures. Six kids, two dogs. Or the stick figures with Mickey Mouse ears. We have a big family and we love Disney. Or mossy oak gear. I don't have any mossy oak gear, but I see that bumper sticker all over the place. They must be awesome. Or I want you to know my kids made the honor roll. Or maybe you've seen this. I want you to know my kid beat up your kid who made the honor roll. <laughs> want everyone to know about it. Then you've got the Christian fish. And then you've got Darwin, the Darwin fish, eating the Christian fish. Then you've got Yeti. I want you to know my beverages stay cold for days. <laughs> Unlike you white trash Coleman cooler people. <laughs> I'm not saying all this is wrong, but it is a form of boasting, right? Because we boast in what we're proud of. And often we view our self-worth as bound up with whatever we boast in. We boast in what we rely on. And judging others, I'm joking, of course, but judging others is the flip side of boasting. We'll build ourselves up and we'll tear down others. Here we learn that the gospel excludes boasting. Why? Not by a law of works, he says, but by a law of faith. And I think he's just really playing on words. I don't think he means a literal law. I just think he means the principle. Boasting is excluded by the principle of faith because it's not about the principle of works. This relationship between faith and works is really important. We've talked about it a lot. We'll continue to talk about it. It's vital to understanding gospel Christianity. They are two fundamentally different ways to approaching God. And again, Christianity is unique here among all the religions of the world. Faith versus works, different approaches. We saw in Romans 3 that the, the point of the law is not to gain salvation. No one will be justified. No one will gain a right standing by works. Instead, what does it do? It closes our mouth. But now, verse 21, the right standing we need is revealed. It's given through faith, not law, but faith. Remember, no one ascends to God. Every other religion teaches that we ascend to God. Christianity says God descends to us. So works are important. They're absolutely important. But we've got to get the order correct. Works are just a result of our faith or a fruit of our faith. The root is faith. The fruit is works. We're not saved by works. We're saved for works. We're not working for our right standing. We're working from our right standing. We try to be good and follow the Lord, not for a position of loved and accepted, but from the position of loved and accepted. Yet we, even us who know this stuff, right? Even us Protestants have this tendency to mix works with faith every day, but even formally. And so there's some Protestants uh, charismatic churches will often say faith plus speaking in tongues 
A lot of Church of Christ churches, faith plus baptism. But other churches, Baptist churches included, faith plus only using the King James Bible. Faith plus no dancing. Don't cuss, dance, or chew, or go with girls who do. Faith plus no R-rated movies except The Passion of Christ. Faith plus subscribing to a certain confession of faith. Faith plus a certain mode of education, on and on. We continue to add to the gospel because our default fallen mode is legalistic self-salvation, which is why we've got to keep the gospel in front of us every week, indeed every day. That's why so much of the Bible is written to address this, Romans, Galatians, Colossians, because the tendency is for us to add to the gospel rather than glory in its sufficiency. And the Holy Spirit wants us to see that if the gospel's true, we have no room to boast. It's faith and faith alone. All is grace. Because it's not about us. One of my favorite groups, Cademan's Call, favorite songs of Cademan's Call is I Boast No More. Let me read you some of the lyrics. It says, no more, my God, I boast no more. Of all the duties I have done, I quit the hopes I held before to trust the merits of thy son. No more, my God, I boast no more. Now for the loss, I bear his name. What was my gain? I count my loss. My former pride, I call my shame and nail my glory to his cross. No more, my God, I boast no more. Yes, and I must, I will esteem all things but loss for Jesus' sake. Oh, may my soul be found in him and of his righteousness partake. Amen. The best obedience of my hands dares not appear before thy throne, but faith can answer thy demands by pleading what my Lord has done. We also sing, I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. We will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. God cares what we boast about. So Paul in Galatians says, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The prophet Jeremiah, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. There's no room or reason to boast. And we really need to be brought where Romans is trying to bring us to see that we will stop boasting when we see that our very best efforts fall short, which is why Romans 1 and Romans 2 and Romans 3 has been so bleak and so full of our sin. He wants to bring us to the end of our rope. He wants to strip us of misplaced confidence. That way we will put all our confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he brings sin and sin and depravity. And then he concludes in Romans 3, 19 and 20. No one can be made right by the law. All the law does is shut our mouths and show us our sin. We fall short. We cannot save ourselves. Prophet Isaiah even says that our righteous deeds are as filthy, polluted garments. We cannot save ourselves. So there's nothing to boast about. Remember, I quoted Whitfield a couple weeks ago, said he would just as soon climb to the moon with a rope of sand than save himself. There's no room to boast. 
For believers, there's lots of reason to boast, just not in ourselves, right? Our boasting is transferred from us to the Lord. We're only confident in him. We rely on him. Our hope is in him. Our identity is in him. We have nothing without him. So our only boast is him. The gospel excludes boasting in self. Second thing the gospel does in this passage is it creates a family of faith. It's not just about us as individuals. It creates a family. Look at verse 29. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. So this salvation is not just for individuals, and he's not just the God of the Jews, but also the Gentiles, the non-Jews. They're all saved the same way. It's always been this way. Declared in the right. That's what justify means. Declared in the right before God by faith. There's one God, and he's always saved the same way, as we're going to see in chapter 4. And remember, I said the very first sermon, there was racial tension in the church at Rome, much like today, honestly. So there's racial tension. Part of it was the Jews had been kicked out, and five years later, they came back to a predominantly Gentile church. So you think about some of the Jewish customs they, they were so used to. They come now to a largely Gentile church, and so Paul's writing to unite the church around Jesus Christ. And it was, it was tension. We're going to see a lot of that as we get in Romans 14 and 15. You know what the easy thing would have been to do? Just start a Gentile Christian church and start a Jewish Christian church. There would be no tension. Everyone would get along just fine because everyone would be just like them, right? It's not the Lord's will, though. God's will is to create a family unified around Jesus, people with different backgrounds but being unified in Christ. The book of Ephesians tells us that's his goal. God's goal, God's purpose, God's plan in history is to unite all things in Jesus Christ. It's what he's going to do, things in heaven and things on earth. And where does he start? With a people unified around Jesus Christ. Let me read Ephesians chapter 3. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he's realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is God's plan? It's to unite all things in Christ. He starts with the people and so it's through the church, this group of people with all kinds of backgrounds that are now unified around Jesus Christ that God's flexing his muscles to the rulers and authorities. God's showing off. He's showing his wisdom. So he doesn't create these little divided churches. He creates one that are all unified around Jesus Christ. Boasting excluded, Gentiles included. And that was always God's plan, right? Genesis chapter 12, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And through you, I'm going to bless all the nations of the world. Part of the message of Romans is that these promises to Abraham are coming to fruition. In fact, flip over, keep Romans 3, flip over to Romans 15. Part of the message of Romans is God's keeping his promises to Abraham. Romans 15, verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, that is the Jewish people. He became a servant to the Jews to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, that's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. 
That's what he's trying to say is God's making good on his promise. And it's a worldwide family, not just Jews, not just Gentiles, all united in Jesus Christ. And friends, most of us in here are Gentiles. Most of us in here do not deserve a seat at the table. But God graciously promised Abraham that he would bless the whole world through him. So we see in the book of Galatians, Galatians 3, 7 says, Know then that it is those of faith, that's Christians, who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Isn't that fascinating? Paul says that way back in Genesis, the gospel was preached. What is that gospel? That God would justify the Gentiles one day. That's what the gospel is. Then notice Galatians 3.29. It's all through Jesus. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. God is the God of the Jews and the Gentiles. And so we as Gentiles in here ought to be just as blown away by the fact that we are saved by Jesus Christ as we are about justification by faith because they're tied together. We shouldn't be here. It's only by grace that we've been included. So the gospel creates a community where faith, not ethnicity, counts. It's a community of Jews, Gentiles, slave, free, male, female, Greek, barbarian, white, black, brown, Arab, Asian, Latino, African, Pakistani, grace, grace. Not race is what matters in God's economy. One in Christ, the God of Jews and Gentiles. Duke Professor Richard Hayes tells a story from the the bloody conflict in Rwanda in the 90s. So remember, you had the Hutu tribe murdering many of the Tutsi tribe, and there was this town called Ruhanga, and there were over 13,000 believers from both tribes that came to this city for refuge and here's how one eyewitness recounts what happened when the militias came they ordered the Hutus and the Tutsis to separate themselves by tribe the Christians refused and declared that they were all one in Christ no longer Tutu no longer no longer Tutsi no longer Hutu one in Christ in response the militias killed every single one of them Over 13,000 people gunned down, buried in mass graves because they refused to be identified by their tribe and insisted on being identified by Jesus Christ. One in Christ. Horrific story, but also a compelling witness to the power of the gospel to overcome ethnic barriers and to create a family of faith. Look at verse 31. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? You might think Paul would say yes by what we've seen so far. But what does he say? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. The law, of course, meaning the law of Moses. And what is the testimony? Well, we've seen this testimony is in the law, right? Chapter 3, verse 21. This righteousness of God is revealed apart from the law, although the law bears witness to it. It pointed forward, and so we uphold the testimony of the law. It's what what we're talking about. This gospel was preached in the law. It's what he's going to do in chapter 4 here in a minute. We're going to see him quote from the law. So we uphold the testimony of the law. Creates a family of faith. Third thing we see this gospel is rooted in the law. It's rooted in the Old Testament. 
See that in chapters 4, verses 1 to 8. And here the Spirit, through Paul, points us back to a couple key Old Testament passages with examples from Israel's most famous patriarch, Abraham, and Israel's most famous king, David. Look at verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Here we go again. In case you weren't listening earlier, he wants to repeat again. God has designed the plan of salvation so that we have no room to boast. Ephesians 2.8, by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. Why? so that no one may boast. God is really serious about no one boasting in anything but him and his grace. You see, our tendency would be to say, well, you know what? I believed. I had faith. I can, I can claim that. I can take credit for that. Well, Ephesians 2 pulls that from out from under us. It says, even our faith was a gift of God. We would not have had faith if God not, had not granted us faith. Left to ourselves, we run the other way, right? We saw that in Romans 3.11. No one seeks God. No boasting allowed. It's true for us. It was true for Abraham. If he had been declared in the right by works, he could boast. He would have earned it, but it's not the case. Not before God. Look at verse 3 of chapter 4. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. What does the scripture say? What a great question. This is the right question. Haven't you noticed how many times the Apostle Paul leans back on the scriptures? Just look at a couple times. Look back at chapter 2, verse 24. For as it is written, as it is written. Look at chapter 3, verse 4. There at the end, everyone were a liar as it is written, as it is written. What has God said? Look at chapter 3, verse 10. As it is written, what does the scripture say? It's the right question. We ought to be saying it all the time. Notice he says the scripture. It's a unity. It's a unified message. And notice he personifies scripture. What does the scripture say? Because in his view, when scripture speaks, God speaks. Don't take this truth for granted. God speaks through his word. I saw a picture the other day. I think we got it for you. Lord, please talk to me. Boom. Here's the Bible. <laughs> when, God, when God's word speaks, God speaks through it. And so he asks, what does the scripture say? He appeals to the Old Testament because this scripture is ultimately one story with one author. And notice it's the present tense. He doesn't say what did God say or what did the scripture say or what was written. He asks what does it say because God's word is a living word. God's voice is heard through what is written. And so we do well to heed it and we do well to ask often, what does it say? And notice he quotes from Genesis. It's going to be real important next week. He quotes from Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So here we have the gospel. We have justification by faith in the very first book of the Bible, Genesis 15, 6. And you need to know that the view of Abraham in the time of Paul was a total opposite. The traditional Jewish view that we learned from various Jewish writings that weren't in the Old Testament, they believed different things about Abraham than the Bible taught about Abraham. Let me just read to you a couple. Here's a Jewish writing called 1 Maccabees. 
says this, was not Abraham found faithful in temptation and it was reckoned unto him for righteousness? You see the difference there? The Bible says Abraham believed God and it was reckoned unto him as righteousness. The Jewish view said basically he did works. He was found faithful and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. See the difference? It's the difference in faith and works. Others taught that Abraham was already righteous before God even called him. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says he was a pagan. He was a moon worshiper before God called him. Let me read another Jewish writing. Jubilee 2310 says this. Abraham was perfect in all of his actions with the Lord and was pleasing through righteousness all the days of his life. So what we have here is Paul saying, listen, forget your tradition. What does the Bible say? Paul attacks this traditional Jewish view of Abraham head on. He says, look, he's going to call him ungodly in a minute. And we know the story of Abraham. He's far from perfect, right? Laughed at God's promises, lied about his wife, not once, but twice. Slept with Hagar to try and fulfill God's promise on his own. He wasn't righteous because of what he did. Genesis 15, 6. He was righteous because he believed in the God who justifies the ungodly. Look at verse 4. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So now he's just not appealing to the Bible here. He's just appealing to common sense. If you work, you're given wages, not a gift, right? If, you're, if your boss comes in, that two-week mark, and says, I got gifts for everybody, and it's your paycheck, that ain't no gift, right? You earned that. That's your due. Say, man, you owe me that. But if you do not work, but are given a paycheck, it's a gift. It's not those who work who attain a right standing. It's those who believe in him who justifies the ungodly. Working involves doing, earning. Faith involves receiving. And so, again, boasting merit is ruled out. One commentator said, grace is not won or warranted. Not one or warranted. Grace is not earned or enticed. Grace is not manufactured or merited. Grace is freely given or it's no longer grace. And again, friends, we need to understand this is what separates Protestant Christianity from every other form of religion. And notice who it is that God justifies. Who does God justify? Who does God declare in the right? Is it the holy? Is it the godly? Is it those who've cleaned themselves up? What does it say? It says, no, God justifies the ungodly. He knows you're a sinner. He knows you fall short. He only justifies those who fall short and know they fall short. No one can bring new evidence against you. No one can bring new evidence of your unworthiness against you to God. He justifies with eyes wide open. He justifies the ungodly. That's the requirement. There's a sign you must stand beside where that scruffy man with a hat takes your ticket. There's a height you must achieve. You must be ungodly. That's your ticket. The only qualification is being unqualified. Jesus said, I didn't come for those who think they're well. I came for those who know they're sick. If you think you're just fine, Jesus has nothing for you. 
What you have to first see is your need of him. All you need is need. God justifies the ungodly. He reckons the unrighteous as righteous through faith in Jesus. He counts them righteous even though they're not. At the same time, counted in the right before Almighty God even though you're still sinful. And this language of counting is really important. You notice how many times he uses it. Used five times in these six verses. Maybe your translation says reckon or maybe imputes. We are counted or reckoned righteous when we believe. Righteousness is imputed to our account. Last week I defined justification. Remember, it's not just as if I'd never sinned. That's a half truth that gets us to neutral. We need a positive standing. So it's not just as if I'd never sinned. It's also just as if I'd always obeyed. And so the great exchange, the beauty of the gospel, what theologians call imputation, is that our sin is imputed to Christ on the cross. His perfect righteousness is imputed to us when we believe. Romans 4 speaks of God not counting our sin to us, even though it belongs to us, and God counting righteousness to us, even though it doesn't belong to us. This is the glory of the gospel. Here's how 2 Corinthians 5 puts it. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Verse 21, hope you know this one. For our sake he made him, speaking of Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our sin is not counted against us in the gospel. And his righteousness is counted as ours when we believe. Brothers and sisters, do you believe this? This is the greatest news in the world. Though I cannot attain righteousness on my own, God credits righteousness to my account through faith in Jesus Christ. Our greatest need has been met. Philippians 3.8, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. God requires righteousness, perfection. We cannot attain it, but the gift of the gospel is that God grants what he demands. Look at verse six. Not just Abraham, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So Paul again, just quoting his Bible, he's like, look, look at Abraham, look at David. They agree, Genesis 15, Psalm 32, he could appeal to many more, teaches the same thing. Forgiveness, righteousness, counted. And he says, blessed. Blessed are those whom God forgives. Blessed are those whom God counts as righteous through faith. This little word blessed, I really wish it was translated differently. There was a version of the Bible that's now outdated that did translate. Every time this little word blessed, it was happy. It's the Hebrew word asher. It's our second born's namesake. 
translates the word in, uh, in the New Testament, makarios. Think about the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. The word means happy. In the early 1600s, when King James was translated, that's what blessed meant. It meant happy. I think we tend to think that happy is not sanctified enough or something anymore. That's what the word means, though. It means happy. The, the CSV translates it joyful. Happy is the one who's been counted righteous. Blessed are those who are justified by faith. This truth of the gospel, this truth of free forgiveness is the foundation for the happy life. It's the foundation for well-being. It's the foundation for flourishing. Life as it's supposed to be, inner peace, clean consciences, contentment, the good life, the best way of being in the world. Oh, friends, the gospel is the foundation for happiness. We must be assured that we are right with God before we can live a happy life. It must start here. There's no true happiness without it. You can seek it in other places and pleasure and money and power and people. It's just not going to work. It's going to leave you dry. You must have sources of happiness which are not dependent upon circumstances or things in this world. If you're banking your joy on anything in this world, all of it is stamped with instability and uncertainty shifting sands and again just to keep it the obvious before us notice what he doesn't say he does not say happy are those who never sin happy are the self-righteous no he acknowledges he's a sinner yet he knows that God forgives the ungodly happy are those who know they're sinners yet know they're justified by grace through faith this gospel of justification by faith that humbles us, it removes boasting, it creates a family of faith. It was preached to Abraham, it was preached to David. It's the foundation of the happy life. It's such an important biblical doctrine for us to get. Martin Luther said this doctrine of justification is the article upon which the church stands or falls. It's that important. Helps us understand why we're Protestant. Many of you came from Catholic backgrounds or have Catholic friends and families. Here we see that Scripture alone declares that we're saved through faith alone, by Christ alone, according to grace alone, to the glory of God alone. Rome denies everything I've been saying. They deny imputed righteousness. They say that instead, our right standing righteousness is infused in us by what we do, by the seven sacraments, starting at baptism, and you can lose it. And so there's no assurance. This is why we ought to view the Roman Catholic Church as a mission field. Not to say that they're not believers in there, but they're not glorying in the gospel of Scripture. They have no assurance. And if you don't have assurance that you are a child of God, you can really have no joy and you won't take no risks for the kingdom. For us, we can be sure. We can be assured. Again, not because of anything in us, right? But because of what he's done for us. Because of God's grace. I wonder this morning, are you sure? Are you sure? God wants his children to be assured that they are his children. Just think about the human analogy. What if I went, we were out of town this weekend, what if I stopped and got out of the van and I told my kids, I might be back. I might not. There's no joy or love in that. No, God wants his children assured. And so are you sure? If you've been in the church a while, you're probably familiar with evangelism explosion. D. James Kennedy in Florida was the author, very influential in the 80s and 90s, and he made famous this question. Suppose that you were to die tonight and stand before God, and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? 
It's a great question. What are the requirements? Who gets in? Are you accepted because you go to church? Because you give? You try to pray? You try to be a good Christian? You try to believe God with all your heart? Those are all some variation of salvation by works, which Paul is at pains to exclude in these chapters. It's not about what we do. It's not about us. It's about what he's done on our behalf. And we only plead the blood of the lamb. Nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross I cling. Or Cademans, I boast no more of all the duties I've done. I quit the hopes I held before to trust the merits of thy son. The best obedience of my hands dares not appear before thy throne, but faith can answer thy demands by pleading what my Lord has done. We sing about it all the time. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly, entirely lean on Jesus' name. You can be sure today. And this gospel is the only way you can be sure without being self-righteous. Because if it were about you, I can be sure because I'm a good person. I do my part, I can be sure. Well, that's just boasting, isn't it? It's so excluded. It's only with justification by faith that we can be sure and yet remain humble. We can be sure because of what he did. We receive him through faith. So if you don't know today, you can know today. Trust him. Quit leaning on your own weight and lean on him. Trust in the Lord. You can receive him. Give up and lean on him. And if you do that, if you have questions about that, we would love to talk. If you're a believer, may we boast in the Lord. I like the word exalt. May we exalt in the Lord. May we glory in Christ. We have all we need in him. And so this gospel, it removes boasting, creates a family, and fulfills God's promises.